0: The most wonderful time of the year can also be the scariest. From centuries-old winter tales to the most adapted holiday novella of all time, the holiday season has always had its fair share of frights. But why does gathering around the Yule log incite within us a yearning to tingle our spines as well? This week's episode is The Ghosts of Christmas. Oh. Oh. <gasps> Ooh, Bells Nickel is here. <laughs> change, my, <laughs> change my name Krampus. on our <laughs> on our recording software you can type a name in and I typed in Bells Nickel for mine today because I'm feeling extra festive.
1: <laughs> it's not showing up. Oh, it is. Oh, that's fun. I should have done that. Uh, but but I, um Next time. Next uh, Christmas.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Next Christmas. I've been in uh, knee-deep in Christmas movies because I've just been turning them on to just, you know, ones that I either haven't seen or uh, that we're going to talk about today. And I've been missing out on a few classics that I've oh. just seen too. Apologize for having not watched The Muppet Christmas Carol any sooner than today. You have never seen it? I've seen clips of it or it's been playing at movies, but I've never sat down and actually watched it. And... As I recently listened to A Christmas Carol, the reading on, I think it's an Audible, per, like Audible Presents, but it's Tim Curry, which is amazing. And he's mm-hmm. the most amazing performer. Having read that, and I I don't know that I know Charles Dickens now, but I feel like <laughs> he would have loved it. Like I borderline started crying in the like opening song of The Muppet Christmas Carol because I was like, Charlie would have loved this. <laughs> Good old Charlie. Charlie Yeah, D. The Muppet <laughs> one's a great
1: one. Little Kermit. Bob Aww. Cratchit,
0: Bob Kermit. <laughs> and just like very serious acting for Michael Caine that I was concerned oh, for yeah. the safety of the Muppets. Like the little Christmas carol out of door, I was like, he about to punt that rabbit. And then yeah. he didn't. Mm. He still hit it in the head with a wreath yeah. that was like 10 times its size. Michael Caine didn't have to go that
1: hard, but he chose to. <laughs> Why didn't he, he, he win like a bathtub like, or an I Oscar? Can't be uh, a <laughs>
0: pussy Ebenezer Scrooge
1: no. going hard as fuck on these Muppets. He was
0: like- <laughs> Every second in this movie, the children must be worried that I will set fire to their favorite felt characters. <laughs> and that's how I felt. I was like, at any moment, he could throw one of them in the fire. Yeah. Just <laughs> snap them in half. Just rip their little arms off. Uh, rip them right off the hand that's up them. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I was. Uh, apologize to uh, Jim Henson's estate for not jumping on the bandwagon <laughs> sooner, because it was so good. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. It is.
1: It is a classic, as is Scrooge, which is also the tale of a christmas carol just in a different form you know it's there's many many adaptations scrooge i think is my favorite
0: oh yeah by far it's probably my favorite christmas movie um up there with i watch that every year and i watch the staged version of a tuna christmas which is oh a yeah weird play oh um, i've seen some, that live yeah yeah, that was like one of it's my great. dreams as a kid. I got to see him. And then my mom took me around to the back where they, the actors exit. And she was like, my daughter loves theater and she loves you guys. And they were so nice. And they were like, Aww. oh, my gosh, thank you. And they autographed my play for me because I brought my little play for them. So I watched them every year. And they're Texas, uh, our mm-hmm. Texas uh, hometown heroes here. They are, yes. I saw them at Casa Manana, maybe. That's like their in classic curse when I was
1: yeah when I was younger but it's a great one. We were my brother and I were just talking about our favorite Christmas movies and I said Scrooge Christmas vacation definitely in the top 3. But then I was having trouble rounding out the third because I don't think it's Home Alone. Home Alone might make top 10, maybe even top 5. Die Hard up there. Is up there. I do consider it. It might not be a Christmas movie, but I think it is it a counts. movie to be watched at Christmas. I mean, the whole thing takes place at Christmas. So, and then, um, I, I, like I said in the last one, I like Bad Santa. I thought that was oh, yeah. that was pretty fun. I like the raunchy ones. Oh, um, the one with Jason Bateman that came out a couple years ago, Christmas Office Party or something like that. Oh, it's I a fun one. It. It's I fun. Like it takes. It's one of those that takes place in like a 24-hour time span. So it's just like shenanigans and antics. If it, it's it, Jason Bateman, that was a fun
0: one. I imagine it's just like things get progressively more zany for him. And he's like, what's going on? Which is every Jason Bateman role. And <laughs> mm-hmm. I love all of them so much. Even Ozark. It's just a slower, longer, oh, yeah. what's going on? But it's the same. <laughs> God damn oh, he's love so him. good in that. I he's
1: love him. He's He is fantastic as are the stories we're going to be sharing with you all today. We did a fun campfire ghost story for Halloween. So we thought we would mimic that for the holiday season. And little did I know how um normal this is for many cultures i was like yeah. oh we'll do something different we'll tell spooky ghost stories <laughs> turns out it's been happening for centuries and it's
0: uh kind of a whole thing over in england and it makes you it makes you feel a type of way this time of year getting cozy getting spooky so we hope you want to get a blanket around you and a hot beverage and sit by the fireside for these christmas ghost stories well i'm christy i'm heather And let's get into it
1: with some Christmas ghost stories. The Christmas holiday often evokes images of streets lit up with shining lights and strung with garland. Busy shoppers bustling with shopping bags and, of course, ghoulish specters coming forth to remind you of your sins and offer a chance for you to change your ways. The 1963 classic song, The Most Wonderful Time of the Year by Andy Williams, lists the lighter aspects of the season, like holiday greetings and gay happy meetings, right alongside...
0: Scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago.
1: This is a song I have heard 8 million times. And while I know these lyrics, I never really stop to think about... Scary ghost stories? What are, we, what are we talking about there? It's just like something I've always saying,
0: and hadn't really thought about it. Now it makes sense. Right. I remember as a kid being like, well, I don't really get scary ghost stories until then I started watching Scrooge. And I was like, oh, Andy Williams, clearly a Bill Murray fan. <laughs> clearly. <laughs> makes sense. Absolutely.
1: Williams is not responsible for the annual tradition of telling ghost stories at Christmas. Liminal times of year, like winter, when one year is ending and another is beginning, often evoke imagery of death and the thinning of the veil between this world and the next. Oral traditions of ghostly storytelling extend back before the written word, with references in 15th century literature to families gathered around the fireside to trade stories of lost loved ones. Chilly winter air brought families close together around the fireside to tell stories, much like classic campfire stories. humorist Jerome K.
0: Jerome wrote in 1891. Whenever five or six English-speaking people meet round a fire on Christmas Eve, they start telling each other ghost stories. Nothing satisfies us on Christmas Eve but to hear each other tell authentic anecdotes about specters. It is a genial festive season, and we love to muse upon graves and dead bodies and murders and blood.
1: It's the most wonderful time of the year. Rock and roll, (laughs) Jerome. Yeah,
0: exactly. He's like, bring out the most gruesome stories you've got. (laughs) Which, in that case, Michael Caine was on on point with his performance. Absolutely. He nailed it. The other day, Ella was wearing a full
1: Halloween outfit, not a costume, but just like a (laughs) shirt and pants that were obviously Halloween themed. And I said, tis the season. And without missing a beat, she goes, to be spooky. So she nailed it. (laughs) She knows. That girl knows. She knows. William Shakespeare was responsible for some early references to the correlation between winter and scary tales. In the romantic comedy, The Winter's Tale... Mamilius, the young son of King Leontes and Queen Hermione, is asked by his mother to tell a story. When faced with the choice between a merry
0: or sad tale, Mamilius states, A sad tale is best for winter. I have one of sprites and goblins. The first act of
1: Shakespeare's ghostly tale of murder, Hamlet, starts off with the appearance of a ghost and ruminations on their prevalence around this time of year.
0: Some say that ever against the season comes, wherein our Saviour's birth is celebrated, the bird of dawning singeth all night long, and then they say, no spirit dare stir abroad, the nights are wholesome, then no planets strike, no fairy takes, nor witch hath power to charm, so hallowed and so gracious is the time. That's like a good point, though, if you say this is a hallowed time, this is such a sacred and religious time, that it's cool to talk about ghosts right now because they can't get us because it's, you know, it's a safe time to tell ghost stories. <laughs> like the witch has no power, the knights are so wholesome. We might as well like sing along about a ghost story or talk about a ghost story because they can't actually get us. What a weird mental gymnastics Shakespeare's playing. I like, too, that it's... You know, you're, it's the holidays.
1: You're sitting around you, the those that are no longer with you. You evoke their memory by sharing stories and stuff, much like we talked about in the Halloween one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How you know it was the darkest night of the year, the longest night of the year. Everyone's gathered around the fire as to ward off evil spirits, but also share stories of spirits that are no longer with them that they wish were. Yeah, keep them alive. The English tradition of ghost stories at Christmas found more popularity in the Victorian era, with newspaper and magazine publishers taking up the genre. According to Victorian Christmas in Print, magazines in the 1850s were eager to increase sales around Christmas time and adapted the oral tradition of Christmas ghost stories to print in order
0: to appeal to a wide audience. All about those Benjamins, baby. You know what? It don't or they doesn't change, man. You got to make that dime, and if you want to increase sales, ghoulish things will sell. I mean, the Victorians knew it. Shakespeare knew it. It's it's nothing
1: new. We all are. We're like, oh, we'll start a podcast about ghosts, and it'll (laughs) be great. It's like. Bitch, people have been doing that since the 1800s. This isn't anything new. You just have a microphone
0: now. <laughs> right? Charles Dickens and Edith Wharton and Henry James would like to say something for you because <laughs> they've been selling peddling ghost stories for you know 150 mm-hmm. years before.
1: First published on December 19th, 1843, A Christmas Carol hit the ground running with the story's opening line. Molly was dead to begin with. Dickens wrote the piece in just six weeks, desperate for the money from its publication. The first run sold out by Christmas Eve and went on to sell out 13 additional printings. Even with these sales, Dickens wasn't a millionaire by any stretch. A perfectionist, he directed a large portion of the story's income to improving
0: the printing process, which cost him profits in the end. But damn, he was funny. I was listening to that Tim Mm -hmm. Curry version, and just right in the beginning, kind of the wordplay he does, and it's the narrator is talking to you, which... Later on, he sort of refashioned it because he would perform it live and then it became mm-hmm. more popular to perform it live. But the intimacy, and it may be just that I had my earbud, you know, my ear pods like right up in my ear, but it feels like a person telling it to you. And I can see how that would be extremely popular at a time of year when you are looking for a stand-in for family around the fire. Sure.
1: And if you weren't someone that could read, you know, and having something read to you or, you know, going to a reading... Still a way that it kind of, no matter what socioeconomic status people were, these transcended that because they were printed in really nice books that, you know, rich, fancy ladies would have on their coffee table to impress people. But then also in just a regular paper, or if you couldn't read, then, you know, someone could read it for you. Maybe you could see him perform it live. Mm hmm. Not to mention, Dickens was not born into a well-off family either. Members of his family spent time in debtor's prison, and Charles himself was forced to drop out of school to work in the factories as a boy. The story and its themes were meant to deliver an important social message on behalf of Dickens' fellow members of the working class. His use of ghosts and the vessel for Scrooge's holiday messages was intended to
0: help open the hearts of the prosperous and powerful toward the poor and powerless. According to Dickens' biographer, Michael Slater... Yeah, Dickens had to work in a factory when he was 11, and he's not the only one. And the kids in the Cratchit family all talk about their laboring in the mm-hmm. factories, and they're basically cogs in a machine that could be just injured or maimed or thrown away. And Tiny Tim he, doesn't have money for surgery. Oh, no, poor no, guy. they're and just barely getting by. But they're happy. They're so and that's happy. that's all that
1: matters, you it's know? It's true.
0: But he read a report, Dickens read a report, like, about the child labor uh conditions and he's like this is still going on like this was when I was mm-hmm. a kid and it's worse and worse and those poor houses and workhouses that were the the solution it's a he basically wanted to write a pamphlet of like this is why you should care about people that don't have as much money as you but then figured well not as many people are going to read a pamphlet I got to suck them in with something and again mm-hmm. what sucks somebody in more than a ghoulish tale
1: it's genius. I mean, mm-hmm. no one likes being preached to, or mm-hmm. th- to feel judged, or you know, like they're being talked down to. But if you reveal all of these things in a in an entertaining story, your message still gets across, but it's going to resonate with a lot more people and probably stick a whole lot better than if you just stood up and started yelling at people <laughs> preaching about what you're trying to say just out hollering. a pamphlet. <laughs>
0: Mm-hmm. And he said he wanted to make a sledgehammer blow with whatever he wrote. And I would argue, you know, we're exactly hundred what 180 years to the day. And it's, we're still talking about it. And it's still getting adept. And it's like, that sledgehammer, it got heard. Dickens, you've made it. You're on our you podcast. Made it. We're talking Charlie about D. you, buddy.
1: Charlie made D, you made it.
0: <laughs> Sinister Hood will be right back. The darkness of the
1: days around this time of year in England may have also served to inspire Dickens, who penned the famous story while living in central London. Christmas stories were not as prevalent even in other English colonies in those early days. Media scholar Derek Johnson explained to the Gothic Association of New Zealand and Australia in 2017 that the Christmas ghost story began as a uniquely English phenomenon. An 1872 report by an Australian colonist described the lack of Christmas ghost stories
0: in Australia because... No ghost could stand the bold glance of an Australian sun or tarry where no ivory robes molder in ruins. No churchyard drearer exhaled the poisonous breath in which the prowling spirits revel.
1: I agree. It's hot as shit. (laughs) (laughs) It's hot. There's a ton of shit that can kill you. I mean, I guess you're already dead. So yeah. if you were like, there's too many snakes and spiders, I can't go to Australia. A ghost, <laughs> they what do you? They can't do anything to you. You can just evaporate. Yeah,
0: you're down there going. Oh, I want to tell you a ghastly story. I got punched by a kangaroo in the White House. <laughs> like, all righty, well, never mind then. I guess you're not afraid of nothing. Yeah, nothing compares to no ghost
1: story is going to compare to anything that just a regular person that lives in Australia has to say.
0: No, that's a spider the size of a dinner plate. (laughs) Nothing does you like that. (laughs) My
1: brother recently got back from Australia, and I was talking to him about it the other night. And he was like, it's great. Everybody's great. Everybody's friendly. Everybody uh, really liked my accent. And I was like, how funny. (laughs) Because usually when he goes, he's with other Americans, but he was the only American. So he's like, I never thought I had an accent, but over there, of course. But he, I asked... Did you happen to see anything like, you know, a great white shark on land or just a crocodile <laughs> coming land your shark. way? And he was like, nah, not, none of that. <laughs> he was in Sydney, though. So, yeah, he, he wasn't in the bush. You got to go to the bush for those things.
0: Yeah, he did. He didn't. Uh, he's not in the industry where they're like, we need you to go out to the bush and just get knee deep in it. It's like you can stay in the uh, in the more civilized area. It's like mm-hmm. America. We've got. Wild areas, of course, nothing like the uh, the crocs and whatnot. The video nothing we've like seen. the bush. The Australian bush is far superior to the American bush. hundred percent, Australian bush forever. <laughs> that hasn't stopped
1: Dickens' most famous Christmas ghost story from having a life long after its publication. According to Time Magazine, more than one hundred versions of A Christmas Carol exist, including a video game. More than 20 TV show episodes have been inspired by the novella, as well as four operas and two ballet versions of the story. Escaping death's icy grip and turning over a new leaf of generosity is now as much of a Christmas tradition as roasting your chestnuts on an open fire. Starring Bill Murray and Carol Kane, Richard Donner's Scrooge was released on the big screen in November of 1988. Murray, who plays Frank Cross, a cynical television executive, is visited by three specters on Christmas Eve. The ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future. The ghastly visitations take place the same night. Cross's network is airing their extravagant live production of Dickens, a Christmas Carol. I don't see no nipples. Classic. (laughs) Well, have you tried staples? One of my (laughs) favorite lines. So good. The whole, oh man. Bobcat Goldway. It's just the office rocker in it is so good. The whole <laughs> Scream, thing is so good. My little baby daughter is at home. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, man. One of the best. And Michael O'Donoghue, who wrote it, is, uh was an SNL writer for a really long time. And the writing of it and the adaptation, listening to the old one and knowing Scrooge the movie so well, it honestly helped me like visualize it, follow the story. But also mm-hmm. the moment where in the film Scrooge, whenever he comes back out of one of his uh one of the moments with the ghosts and the Christmas Carol old black and white version is playing on the television and she's like, I hope you're happy with the life you've chosen. He goes, Well I am happy a little bitch. <laughs> That that line is in the in the book, so I could hear the book in my head going. And then they said, "I hope you're happy with the life you chose." chosen. and out loud, I was like, "I am happy, little bitch." But it's just like those moments where it ties back to the original, but mm-hmm. it's such a fresh take. It's why it's a classic. It is, yeah.
1: Carol Kane's so funny God. in that when she just nails him in the face with that
0: toaster. Yeah, God that damn. bitch hit me with a toaster. <laughs> She rips his lip. She ripped his lip in real life. And she. they said that when they would have to shoot those scenes, Carol Kane didn't like it. She's like, I don't want to hit you. But she really, I mean, they went for it. And like Richard Donner said, like a majority of Bill Murray's dialogue was improvised. And he oh, was yeah. like, it's like directing traffic in the dark with no lights. And they're, you know, like he's like, I can't direct that. But yeah. it came you out great. just let great. it go. Yeah. yeah, like his, his speech at the end when he starts like telling the audience, like, okay, now you sing, now you sing. All that was completely improvised. He's like, we just kept rolling because Bill yeah. just kept talking. Let the let the gold happen. Mm-hmm.
1: Perhaps the most beloved adaptation of the Christmas classic is the Jim Henson productions of The Muppet Christmas Carol. Michael Caine takes on the legendary role of Ebenezer Scrooge with Kermit the Frog playing Bob Cratchit. Scrooge's overworked and
0: underpaid assistant. There's never been a narrator as good as Gonzo and Rizzo. (laughs) Such a good little duo, (laughs) man. When he picks up the rat and starts wiping the window with it, the rat's like, "Thanks for letting me be a part of this." It's just so funny. Like the people that write it. Yeah, it's like they're just having fun. You can tell that the writers were having fun, and the puppeteers and actors are all having fun. It's just delightful. Being a Jim Henson puppeteer
1: is the top. Tier, it's the upper echelon. If you're a puppeteer of, of what
0: you're trying to do, absolutely, you get the top of your game. Yeah, that and
1: Sesame Street.
0: Oh man, yeah. When you're inside one of those, doing the arms or being in a like a human on Sesame Street, also oh, a dream, dream, dream come true, bucket list dream. Just putting it out there,
1: hosting an episode of Sesame Street.
0: Yeah, speak it into existence. I'm a I'm big child to. inside because I'm more like I if I saw any of these Muppets in real life, and that's such a light, weird thing to say, like a real life Muppet, <laughs> like but for, I was just
1: walking down like, the street like <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh my god, I would freak <laughs> out. But it's funny because on TikTok, if you've been scrolling too long, sometimes it's like a nice person with a soft voice going, Hey. Seems like you've been scrolling a long time. Yes. I'm like, fuck you. And I keep scrolling. <laughs> but the other day, it was a Sesame Street character that was like, hi, we all have times that we're not feeling great. Sometimes Aww. it's good to take a break. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I will take a break. Yeah. I, or,
1: I should take a break right now. You're right. Yeah. I'll never besmirch. Uh, I'll never talk down to a, to a, they're called monsters, ironically. Yeah. And I follow Sesame Street on Instagram Mm -hmm. and they always have such just like words of wisdom from the characters. When Twitter was around, they would tweet really cute things, too. It's Mm -hmm. such a show, a show like that that's been around long before us. It still is like
0: so inclusive and progressive and there for kids. Mm -hmm. Couldn't be a better show. Yeah, like carrying that mantle cuz we all, you know, and people even older than us that have that really grew up with it when it was very nascent and now their kids kids, you know, we're all carrying the torch of the Muppets and the the, the Sesame Street monsters.
1: The remakes and reimaginings are even becoming self-aware in their adaptations. In the 2022 film Spirited, when Ryan Reynolds' character Clint Briggs is faced with the ghost of Jacob Marley,
0: he asks I'm so sorry. I'm stuck on the first thing there. You said past, present, future. Like A Christmas Carol? The Dickens Story? The Bill Murray movie with Bobcat Goldthwait? A frustrated Marley replies, Yes, yes, like the Dickens book and the Bill Murray movie and every other adaptation nobody asked for. But if
1: nobody asked for them, they wouldn't be made. It seems that even 180 years after A Christmas Carol
0: was published,
1: its message still resonates, as captured in its closing lines.
0: It was always said of Scrooge that he knew how to keep Christmas well, if any man alive possessed the knowledge. May that truly be said of us, and all of us. And so, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone. Tiny Tim... yeah, I turned on that Spirited, and I genuinely was like, is this a Broadway musical that was made into a movie? But the reviews just say, no, it's pretty much like a music- a Broadway musical masquerading as a movie. Boy, they have tap dancers and all kinds. I mean, it's h- a huge production value, but it is very Ryan reynolds cheeky, Deadpool, look at the camera kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, I mean, it's sweet. It's got a sweet message and everything. But Will Ferrell, King of Christmas. This is like his third movie that's Christmas themed. <laughs> you can't celebrate without Will. <laughs> So you're saying it's basically... The
1: production they're putting on On Scrooge is what spirit it is
0: <laughs> Same uh, budget Same
1: wild <laughs> antics
0: <laughs> It is It's like uh, It's very I mean clearly They paid I think they said they paid Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds Each like 20 million dollars To be in that movie And the whole production is huge But yeah It's like the behind the scenes of I didn't know what the I didn't know what the plot was When I turned it on But it's pretty much Behind the scenes of The ghosts of Christmas Past, present, and future And how they choose People to change every year And Ryan Reynolds Reynolds is the asshole they choose to change. Oh, I love Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. He plays a good, like, jerk. Yeah. Like, a smarmy jerk. But it's yeah. funny, because the ghost of Christmas past is like, he's so hot. <laughs> <And> <laughs> <Cheryl's> <laughs> like It's not about that, but he is. He's a stone-cold fox. He is, <laughs> like, very self-aware.
1: He He's very uh, cheeky, too. He, yes. he knows what he's doing.
0: And he's very likable and charming. That's it, too. Because like that character, if they did not have somebody likable and charming, would be like, oh, no, throw the whole guy away. Like, who gives a fuck? <laughs>
1: Arguably the most famous English author of his time, Dickens wasn't the only notable writer who penned Ghostly Christmas Tales. Victorian authors such as Elizabeth Gaskell,
0: Margaret Oliphant, and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle worked through the fall to cook up these stories and have them ready to print in time for Christmas. According to Tara Moore,
1: an assistant professor of English at Elizabethtown College, who shared her expertise with History.com. Brittany Warman, a folklorist specializing in Gothic literature and the co-founder of the Carterhoff School of Folklore and the Fantastic,
0: explained to History.com why these authors had no shortage of material, saying, The rise of industrialization, the rise of science, and the looming fall of Victorian Britain as a superpower. All these things were in people's minds and made the world seem a little bit darker and a little bit scarier. They called the 1840s the hungry 40s, which like, God. come on, that's a horrible nickname for it's like is, the yeah. roaring 20s, the <laughs> shitty 30s, the hungry 40s. But truly, <laughs> I mean, it was devastatingly yeah. poor and they had split up families in these workhouses. And it was just kind of this like dreary, palpably sad bleak. kind of a place at the time. Yeah, very bleak. And yeah, especially if it's. The weather there, you know, mm-hmm. it's not
1: always sunny. It's usually a little more overcast and dreary, coupled with all of, you know, this just bleakness, poverty, everything going on around you. It lends itself to uh, spookier times.
0: Oh, yeah. If there's fog rolling in and mm-hmm. all that. Yeah. that's And it's that time of year where it is, uh, it's darker earlier, more I and mean, darker longer. You're like, oh, this, there's something looming around the corner. There's shadows moving. <laughs>
1: One thing that I found really interesting is even in the, the pamphlets that Dickens would publish with other authors and, and short stories of ghost tales, like 70% of them were women. Mm-hmm. So even back then, the majority of people writing about these and listening to them were women. And that, that hasn't in really it. changed. And the article I was reading was like, you know, it helped people when they were facing death every day and seeing it outside their doors to kind of work through these stories to see like, well, how would I approach that? Or almost like pre-plan it out, you know, kind of pre-grieving in a way. Again, shit hasn't
0: changed. You're still the ones that consume true crime the most and for very similar reasons, I think. It's true. I mean, the dalliance with the macabre back then and like just that feeling of I'm it's like a taboo thing. And it's something that you are faced with because the, the working dish conditions were super dangerous. And, you know, you could just get uh, injured, maimed horribly, mm-hmm. you know, seeing that a happen. And, and like, yeah, disease and just like, all right, back to work. Everybody get back. You know, just the lack of empathy that, yeah, you want to engage with that horror in a controllable way like mm-hmm. we do now. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Sinister will be right back.
1: One particular English ghost story that has been shared around the Yule Log for generations seems to have taken inspiration from a real-life tragedy. The legend of the mistletoe bride tells the story of Lord Lavelle and his soon-to-be wife at the Bramshill House in Hampshire, England. Having decided on a Christmas wedding, the couple invited both of their families to their estate for prenuptial holiday festivities. As the story goes, the familial wedding party, along with the bride and groom, decided to entertain themselves with a game of hide-and-seek that included a festive twist. The bride was to hide herself away in the impressive mansion while the groomsmen searched for her. Whichever young man found her first would be rewarded with an innocent kiss under the mistletoe. I don't. Know about you know, you you know get, my you're hiding hidden. yourself away. You got all your groomsmen that are also your family. They're just her. looking, looking everywhere for you, so they can get you under the mistletoe and give you a little cheeky kiss, a little smooch. Yeah, I'm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna
0: be real hid.
1: <laughs> While the game started out fun, it quickly turned to panic when Lord Lavelle's bride was nowhere to be found. The men searched and searched. Minutes turned to hours, hours turned to days, and days turned to weeks. Months went by, and still, no sign of the bride. After years of never finding his hidden-away love, Lavelle had no choice but to move on with his life, never knowing what happened that fateful holiday night. Fifty years later, when Lavelle's grandchildren were playing their own game of hide-and-seek, the mystery was finally solved. As the children sought out the best hiding spots in the manor, they discovered a secret closet in one of the rooms. Inside the closet was a large wooden chest that was sealed shut on the outside. When the children pried it open, they discovered a ghastly sight. Inside were the remains of Lavelle's young bride. She had finally been found,
0: albeit far too late. Don't be playing hide and seek. Oh. Cherry taught us, so I'm hunky Brewster. She didn't know. Don't she get in known. the fridge.
1: Don't get know. in the chest. Imagine the horror, though, that you shut yourself in. And then, you know, after a couple minutes or something, you're like, well, I'm going to get out of here. And you try to push on the top. And it doesn't budge.
0: No, and it's sealed from the outside. Yeah, my uh, grandmother had a cedar chest, and it was drilled mm-hmm. into me like, we don't climb in that, we don't touch it, we don't get into it. Because, you know, it goes, and there's like like a latch that closes. Nah, that's for old newspapers and family heirlooms. I say lightly, <laughs> uh, which are other <laughs> old newspapers <laughs> only. It's just it, papers only. That's the only It's Mama's JFK that. and Elvis papers, and they stay in the <laughs> chest. <laughs> They're family heirlooms one day. They're going to be worth a lot of money someday. It's Mm -hmm. my inheritance. It's just (laughs) JFK newspapers. (laughs) The innocent
1: childhood game of hide and seek inspired another haunting holiday tale. Published in 1931, Smee, written by Alfred McClellan Burridge, tells the story of a young boy on Christmas Eve who must explain to his friends why he doesn't fancy an after-dinner game of hide and seek, or Smee, as they call it. Written by Burge to serve as a cautionary tale, the boy described the terrifying events surrounding the last time he played Smee. He and 11 of his closest friends took turns hiding and seeking throughout an alleged haunted house. After a while, the group realized a 13th player had joined them, a young girl that none of the other children recognized. Eventually, it is revealed that the girl is not of the living— having died during a previous game of Smee played years before. Now, the ghost girl roamed the halls of
0: the house looking for unsuspecting children to find... And yeah, those like getting together with your family, you know, you see them once a year, all the cousins playing together, let's play hide and seek. Yeah, you better count heads before and after, because if you got one extra, that's when the shit's going down. You got a real home alone situation. It's not just <laughs> counting
1: heads. You got to 'em them up, look them in the face, and make sure you know them.
0: Yes. No. Look, who Who are you? Whose cousin are you? Where'd you come from? Who's your mama? Mm-hmm. Like, We can't. Don't Don't close me in that chest. <laughs>
1: Scary Christmas stories aren't just limited to books and poems. The genre of Christmas horror movies has become so prevalent it has spawned sub-genres of its own. According to the book A Scary Little Christmas by Mike Dupay, holiday horror flicks include so-called psycho Santa films, movies about monsters from folklore like Krampus, zombies, evil Christmas spirits, horror anthology films, and even killer Christmas trees. Many Christmas traditions stem from pagan rituals
0: combined with Christian beliefs. Combining that duality with the seasonal struggle between waning light and dominant darkness during the cold winter months in northern Europe and Alpine regions of Germany and Austria anchors the holiday in the supernatural, according to DuPay. Which that makes sense if the, you know, the stories like Krampus or things that come from those Northern European areas that then also merge with the prevalence of Christianity. You could see how it's the, you keep that, like, keep you in line, but mm-hmm. also it's the Christian holiday, but really a lot of it underneath it was the pagan rituals, like we talked about in our uh a mini-sode mm-hmm. about the woman who gave us Halloween in out of Ireland, that you see that. And in, granted, for a long time in some cultures, Halloween was the start of this season that then moved on and kind of concluded a few days after what we, you know, December 25th. So it it's, makes sense that it's all kind of one long, spooky-ass season because yeah. it's all dark. Absolutely. Some holiday horror films are better
1: than others. The 2005 horror classic, The Ginger Dead Man stars Gary Busey as a vengeful real-life cookie monster who comes to life with the soul of a convicted killer. (laughs) But the most loved Christmas monster movie may be 1984's Gremlins. Though the film about the pets you don't feed after midnight received one sequel, fans weren't thrilled. As of 2023, Collider reported that the film's original screenwriter, Chris Columbus, of Home Alone and The Goonies fame, has completed a script for Gremlin's Three, which
0: original star Zach Galligan described as something along the lines of like Jurassic world, where it'll be thirty years later,
1: proving that Christmas scares still have
0: a place in our holiday traditions, man, Chris Columbus with Home alone and the and uh Gremlins he's a king he's a king of Christmas with will Ferrell. they're competing he's a king of Christmas, yeah, Ella asked the other day, can I watch Gremlins? And I honestly
1: haven't seen it in so long that I had to say I gotta get back to you because I yeah, don't I TBD. don't remember all the ins and outs of it.
0: Has she watched Home Alone? My oldest niece is in a Home Alone. She's like obsessed with Home Alone this year and has been watching it over and over. But she's eight, so uh,
1: no, we she has not seen Home Alone yet. I probably in a year or two, I would say she's yeah. she's
0: ready for that. Not quite where you're going to walk in the room and the paint can just slings down and hits you in the face. She's like, I learned
1: it from Macaulay Culkin. (laughs) That just, that movie is dark as fuck. The amount of terror, little Kevin, just rains down upon them. I mean, you know, you got to protect your house, do whatever you need to do. Castle doctrine. It's, uh, (laughs) but it's. Yeah, I don't need her getting any ideas like that. I don't want. I need. I don't need to be tar and feathered or just
0: nails just all over my house that I'm trying to avoid. The, sh- the f- shot of his foot oh. stepping on that nail to this day—that's a children's yeah. movie. It's a children's yep. movie. It gets you, yeah. man. Uh, but the gremlins—that I. I It's obviously a Christmas movie, and I love that that is – well, it's a gift that terrorizes everyone. Like, what a great – we can all relate to that, not that we have – a pet that that is turns into an actual monster, but you know you think like, oh great, my uncle gave me a puppy or whatever something that is living that be it takes that trope of like, oh it's a puppy for Christmas, oh it's a sweet little pet for Christmas, and turns it on its head. Uh, but it was very fun going through all the Christmas horror movies that uh, Mike Dupay lists off in his uh, book because. Did not know about a lot of them. Was not aware of, like, uh, the zombie, apparently, since, like, 2008. At least once a year, there's, like, a Christmas zombie movie. So it's it's a growing genre, it seems like, the horror Christmas film. I don't film. think I've seen a Christmas zombie movie. I've seen the, it kind of is a dual genre flick, the, oh, man, I, it's a 2015 horror Christmas anthology. And I've talked about it on Patreon, I think, in a mixed bag a while back. But it was this, uh, it's... Hosted by William Shatner. He is the <laughs> DJ in the town who gets drunker and drunker oh, as the yes. show goes on. you have talked about yes. this. Yeah. And then there's one Krampus one. There's one. And then the Santa one is it's not a psycho Santa where Santa goes bad. Instead, the elves go bad and they turn into zombies and Santa has to destroy the
1: elves. Well, when you're overworked and underpaid, eventually the masses <laughs> are going to riot. You know, she's not but- giving them the benefits. He, they. They deserve Christmas off. Is that the only day of the year they work? Yes. But it's also the day that everybody wants off to spend them with their families. Right. To work all the other 364 days. So you've got Christmas Day off and your work's already done for you.
0: Right. Come on, Sandy. You got to give people the 25th off. He's like, but it's our most busy day. That's not my problem. (laughs) Worker unity.
1: Well, now we have some of our own Christmas scares to share with you. Ooh.
0: Sinister Hood will be right back.
1: It was 11:30 p.m. Little Jimmy had been staring at his ceiling for the past 2 hours. Despite his best efforts to conjure visions of sugar plums dancing in his head, all he had managed to do was count the number of bumps on his popcorn ceiling. It was Christmas Eve. How was he expected to sleep when Santa would be shimmying down the chimney at any minute? Jimmy had kept his list to the big guy short and sweet this year. The only thing he hoped to see under the tree come Christmas morn was a puppy. And a big red ribbon tied around its neck sure wouldn't hurt. For months, Jimmy had begged his parents for a pet of his own. Please, Mom, Jimmy pleaded each morning at the breakfast table. I'll feed him and walk him and play with him. You won't have to lift a finger. Jimmy's mom hardly believed this, but played along anyway. Oh, yeah, she said slyly, heaping some more pancakes on Jimmy's plate. Yeah, Mom, I promise. Mrs. Jameson exchanged a knowing smile with her husband. They had already found the perfect puppy for Jimmy at their local animal shelter and couldn't wait to see the look on their sweet son's face when he discovered Santa had most certainly read his letter. Unbeknownst to Jimmy, the puppy now lay sleeping peacefully in his parents' closet tucked away until it was time for the big reveal. In fact, everyone in the house was asleep, except for Jimmy. The chimes of the family's grandfather clock rang throughout the house. It was midnight. Well, technically it's Christmas, Jimmy thought to himself, trying to justify what he had been wanting to do all along. Sneak downstairs for a quick peek under the tree. He'd promised his mom and dad he wouldn't wake them up before 7 a.m., But if he crept quiet as a mouse, he wouldn't wake them, keeping his promise while satisfying his curiosity. Clad in his Christmas jammies, Jimmy slowly turned his bedroom doorknob and peeked into the hallway. Confirming that the door to his parents' bedroom was shut, Jimmy tiptoed to the top of the staircase. A quick down, up, and then right back to bed, Jimmy assured himself. Silently, he made his way down the staircase. Careful to avoid the well-known creaky steps, he was almost to the bottom when he heard a strange noise. It sounded like a low growl, the kind an animal would make. In a flash, the realization hit Jimmy. It's a puppy! Jimmy quietly squealed to himself. I knew Santa would come through. Jimmy jumped the last three stairs and raced towards the living room overcome with joy that he was about to meet his new best friend. With a smile brighter than the Christmas tree plastered across his face, Jimmy rounded the corner, arms already outstretched to scoop up his new pup. That's when he saw it. The creature standing in the Jameson's living room was unlike any dog Jimmy had ever seen. Covered in greasy black fur, the beast stood on two legs at the end of which were cloven hooves, not paws. His front two legs stretched out before him, its dagger-like claws glistening under the glow of the Christmas tree lights. Jimmy couldn't be sure, but it looked like bits of meat were hanging from the end of this thing's razor-sharp nails. The ominous-looking horns atop his head nearly brushed the 12-foot ceiling, and the stench radiating from the monster made Jimmy's eyes water. Hello? Jimmy squeaked out. The beast whipped its head around, his long, wet, red tongue hanging out of its mouth. Thick strings of saliva dangled, soaking his long, black beard. Now Jimmy was sure those were definitely bits of meat, and they were stuck in the monster's beard as well as his claws. Noticing Jimmy for the first time, a sickly smile spread across the beast's face before letting out a roar. You're not a puppy, Jimmy shrieked. What are you? The beast lumbered over to the frosted-over window. Jimmy was so terrified he hadn't even noticed it had begun to snow. Lifting a jagged claw, the monster began to write something in the frost. The sound of its nails against the glass, reminiscent of nails scraping against a chalkboard. Jimmy read the cryptic letters aloud. K-R-A-M-P-U-S. Krampus? The beast nodded its massive head. Oh, I've heard of you, Jimmy exclaimed. My teacher taught us about you. You're like the evil version of Santa Claus. The beast seemed to flinch at this comment, then turned away. Hey, I'm sorry, Jimmy said. "'I didn't mean to hurt your feelings.' "'His back turned to Jimmy. "'Krampus just shrugged, then let out a sigh. "'Recognizing he seemed sad, "'Jimmy slowly approached the monster. "'Jimmy had learned all about Krampus at school. "'His teacher, Mrs. Mueller, was from Germany "'and told the class that when she was a little girl, "'she feared that at Christmas time, "'Krampus would come and take her away "'if she'd been naughty that year. "'Jimmy and his classmates were horrified,' to learn that Krampus would whip you with sticks if you had misbehaved. Or worse, if you'd been really naughty, he'd stuff you in his sack, drag you to hell, and eat you. But seeing him now, Krampus appeared more downtrodden than devilish. Still, Jimmy approached with caution. As Jimmy got closer, he saw that tears were welling up in Krampus's big red eyes. Maybe it wasn't the flesh of devoured children that had dampened his beard. Maybe the beast had just been crying. Cautiously, Jimmy reached out his hand and patted Krampus' hairy back. There, there, it's okay, the young boy said. Do you want to talk about it? Wiping away a tear with a giant clawed finger, Krampus nodded yes, then said, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to scare you. I know the way I look is pretty frightening, but looks can be deceiving. You mean you aren't here to stuff me in a sack and eat me for supper? Jimmy asked. No, of course not, Krampus replied. Santa told me you were getting a puppy, and I wanted to come see the little guy. I don't get to play with other animals much, on account of me looking like I would rip them to shreds and all. But the truth is... I'm a softie at heart. Jimmy had been so excited to hear his wish had come true that he barely noticed Krampus had begun to weep. When the beast began to wail, Jimmy's attention snapped back. What's wrong? Jimmy asked. Tearfully, Krampus replied, It's just that no one is ever excited to see me. All anyone cares about is Santa. "'Santa this and Santa that. "'All the songs and poems are about him. "'He gets the fancy sleigh and the reindeer and elves. "'Plus that minx, Mrs. Claus. "'He's got a whole team working for him up there at the North Pole. "'The only creature I have to rely on is myself.'" Jimmy felt bad for Krampus. Mrs. Mueller didn't seem to know what she was talking about. Krampus wasn't a devilish beast. He was more like a huge, ugly puppy. I have an idea, Jimmy exclaimed. How about you stay the night and open presents with us in the morning? I'm sure my mom and dad won't mind. Krampus couldn't believe what he was hearing. You mean it? You would let me spend Christmas with you and your family? Shyly, Krampus added, gee, no one has ever invited me to Christmas They usually just scream for me to leave and sometimes shoot things at me. They just don't know you like I do. You may look scary, but under all that stinky fur is a heart of gold, Jimmy said knowingly. Krampus began to feel all warm and tingly, a sincere smile spreading across his monstrous face. This must be what love feels like, he said. It was 6 a.m. Mr. and Mrs. Jameson were quietly bustling around their bedroom, preparing to take Jimmy's cuddly present downstairs before their son came bounding down to see what Santa had left for him. Seeing their son's bedroom door was still closed, they let out a small sigh of relief. They'd worked so hard to keep the puppy a secret and didn't want to spoil it now. As they crept down the stairs, puppy in tow, with a red ribbon tied around its neck, A foul odor wafted up from the living room. What is that? Mrs. Jameson asked, trying not to breathe. I don't know, but it better not be another dead possum stuck inside the wall, Mr. Jameson said grumpily. As they rounded the corner to the living room, they couldn't believe their eyes. There, curled up under the tree, was Jimmy, fast asleep, "'nestled against some sort of horrifying horned beast. "'Jimmy!' his mom screamed as she ran over to her son "'and grabbed him from the monster's clawed clutch. "'Startled from their peaceful slumber, "'Jimmy and Krampus tried to get their bearings "'as Jimmy explained to his parents what had happened. "'After dispelling the rumors that Krampus was there to eat him, "'Jimmy, who in the commotion hadn't noticed the puppy "'under his mom's arm, looked at his parents with pleading eyes.' "'and asked of Krampus, "'Can I keep him, Mom and Dad, please? "'I promise I'll take care of him "'and you won't have to do a thing.' "'But Jimmy,' his mom said, "'we already got you a pet. "'See?' she said, holding out the puppy to Jimmy. "'Jimmy looked at the puppy, "'then back at Krampus, "'who was already making his way to the door, "'shoulders slumped. "'That's okay, Jimmy,' Krampus softly said, I was expecting this to happen. No! Jimmy exclaimed. Don't go! The young boy ran to Krampus, throwing his arms around one of his hairy tree-trunk-sized legs. Mom, Dad, this is Krampus. He's my best friend. I love him, and I want him to live with us. Mr. and Mrs. Jamison exchanged glances, the obvious love their son had for this hideous beast filling their hearts. Okay, Mr. Jameson said, you can keep him, but it's your responsibility to house train him. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jimmy gleefully shouted as he ran to hug both his parents. Krampus watched the heartwarming scene, his devilish red eyes welling up once again with tears. There's just one problem, Mrs. Jameson said. What are we going to do with the puppy? The shelter said all adoptions are final. At this, Krampus's horns perked up. I've got an idea, he said, his long forked tongue licking his lips. Krampus, Jimmy and his parents said in unison through laughter. (laughs) I'm just kidding, said Krampus, knowing full well he was going to devour that puppy the first chance he got. Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. (gasps) <gasps> I've always wanted to say that, Krampus said happily.
0: Hopkins was dead, first of all. Of that, Ebenezer Squatch was certain. This had made Ebenezer responsible for his old partner's projects in addition to his own, and the load had not been easy. Two real estate developers pushing through huge industrial projects was just enough work for the both of them, but taking on the load himself had Ebenezer worked to the bone. It had been seven long years without his partner, Kelly Hopkins by his side, but the old grump kept their breakneck pace and kept the lights of the development firm burning with the help of his overworked assistant. Work was Ebenezer's favorite place to be, face down in a pile of papers, reviewing environmental impact reports, and shaking his head at their insidiously green hippie language. He let his eyes dip down to the most recent project, a factory to be built in the woods of Oregon. Too many trees would be demolished by the creation of this new location. Unknown species of wildlife may be destroyed, the paper read, and who cares? Ebenezer said out loud. Progress makes the world go round. We can't put a pause on the wheels of industry just because some unknown species may be harmed. Squatch continued his work in the office, surrounded only by a stack of documents and his bumbling assistant, Bob Kraken. As the clock ticked toward 5 p.m. on this cold Christmas Eve, Squatch could hear his assistant gathering up his things. Think you're finished in there? Ebenezer called out. Bob Kraken froze. He feared his mean old boss and did anything to avoid his wrath. Oh, no, sir. N- just tidying up. Kraken called back. You're paid to stay until five PM and you'll not leave a minute sooner. Squatch yelled. He had several more words ready on his lips about not taking advantage of a holiday and being lazy, but he was interrupted by the crack of his office door. Merry Christmas, Uncle Eb, came a voice from the hallway, followed thereafter by Sam, Squatch's jovial nephew. "'Bah!' said Squatch. "'Humbug!' (laughs) "'Oh, Uncle Eb, how could you be your same grouchy self today? "'It's Christmas,' Sam asked. "'Bah!' Squatch repeated. "'And in case you missed it, humbug!' Sam laughed at his uncle's curmudgeonly demeanor. (laughs) "'You're still here, Uncle. "'It's nearly five. "'What could be so important that you've got your assistant "'still toiling away on Christmas Eve?' Progress, my boy, Ebenezer explained. A new factory and adjoining warehouse in the lush wilds of Oregon. The only problem is these damn animals. The government wants me to care about species unknown. Here's an idea. If we don't know them already, we don't need to. But maybe it's something new and magical, Sam offered. Sydney's been telling me about a new animal she thinks she saw. A unicorn. So I got her this, Sam said, showing Squatch a small unicorn figurine to help her believe 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 in what that daughter of yours has her head in the clouds that's probably why she thinks she's seen a unicorn and you're no help encouraging her the uncle said ah well she may have her head in the clouds but she also loves you and would love to have you at breakfast on christmas morning we all would sam said and you can give her this toy and say it's from you The look his uncle gave over the top of his thin frame glasses made Sam realize the invitation would likely go unanswered. Or not. Either way, you keep it, Sam said, setting the unicorn on the desk. What for? Squatch asked. A little reminder that you're not alone on Christmas. Unicorns aren't even real, Squatch mumbled, turning back to his work. Maybe. Maybe not. You just gotta believe. Merry Christmas, Uncle. Sam said, heading for the door and leaving the unicorn on the desk corner. And Bob, Sam called to the other room, it's 5 p.m. Don't let this old bastard hold you any longer. With a wink, Sam was gone. Well, Ebenezer called through the doorway to Bob's workstation. The man had cleaned up, shut down, and was ready to go with a bag on his shoulder. "Uh, Yes, sir, Bob said. I suppose you'll want tomorrow off, Squatch growled. If it's not too much trouble, Bob replied. Oh, yes, please. Stay home while I pay you for a full day's work. You just better hope the project in Oregon goes through. Unknown species be damned. Otherwise, you and I will be out on the streets by New Year's. Yes, sir, Bob said again before rushing out. Squatch shut down the office and headed out for a dinner by himself. He stopped at the bar on the ground floor of his office building and ate in silence while one of the bar TVs played CNN. CNN. The text on screen read Holiday Special, The Hottest Christmas Ever, and featured clips from the previous months of natural disasters all over the world. Hurricanes, typhoons, tornadoes, and devastating storms filled the screen. Squatch watched emotionless as he finished his steak. The bartender topped off his water glass, and noticing that he was watching the television, offered a remark. We've got to do something about this weather before it's too late, the bartender said. If people don't like the weather, they can move, Squatch replied. Not all people can move, she said, and some would die before they made it anywhere else. The bartender pulled the pitcher back towards herself. Well, then they better go ahead and do it, preferably sooner than later. Fewer people to get in the way of progress, Squatch said, before setting down a $50 bill to pay his tab. The receipt beneath read $48.19. Keep the change, he said, and Merry Christmas. Back in his office, Squatch decided to get a few more things done before the world shut down on December 25th. He began reviewing the cost benefit analysis for the Oregon Project and let out a huge scoff upon again seeing unknown species in the woods. Like I said, if I don't know them, I don't care about them, Squatch said to no one in particular. He placed the sheet down on his desk and rubbed his face with his hands. He was so tired that he failed to see the faint green glow coming from beneath his office door. In a flash, the entire room was lit up, and before Ebenezer's eyes, he saw a three-foot-tall glowing goblin with a face that looked just like his old partner, Kelly. Uh, by God, Hopkins, I- is that you? Ebenezer cried out. It is I, the goblin replied. Your old partner, Kelly. Uh, but but, but you're, you're dead, Squatch said. ''Dead, yes, but not at rest. I've been walking the streets and caves these past seven years, unable to find peace.'' ''Well, you deserve peace, though,'' Squatch said. ''You're a good person in life. Together, you and I created over 200,000 square feet of industrial real estate holdings. We were the kings of this business before you up and died.'' ''The planet should have been my business, the planet and all of its inhabitants.'' ''But we made progress, my good man,'' said Ebenezer.'' At what cost? Hopkins replied. All the acres of trees we killed, the families of animals we crushed, the green spaces we destroyed that no one can hike upon ever again. Gone. And for what? Progress? Progress? The goblin scoffed. Ha! When profits, Squatch reminded him. Bah! The goblin replied. The glow around Hopkins followed him nearer to Squatch's desk as he laid eyes on the stacks of papers. "'Still willing to destroy the splendor of the unknown for the almighty dollar? "'You will never learn,' Kelly said, adding, "'Not unless I teach you.' "'Teach me? I was your mentor. "'I know more than you, and I'm wiser than you in every way,' Squatch said, defiant. "'That was true in life, but I see now you are devoid of the most important wisdom of all. "'No matter, you will learn in due time,' said the goblin. "'Be on guard. Your teachers shall arrive in short order.' With that, the goblin walked into the hallway and disappeared into a viridescent puff of smoke. Darkness filled the office again, and Ebenezer Squatch checked his watch. He'd been working so late that the minute hand was but a breath away from striking midnight. He gathered up his things, threw on his coat, and headed for the elevator. As the silver door shut and the elevator headed down, it stopped on another floor. "'Strange,' Squatch thought, noting the late hour." From behind the doors, a man in black entered. He was tall with broad shoulders and an ample backside. He wore large, round sunglasses, nearly too large for his face, with impenetrable red lenses. Going down? Squatch asked. Going back, the figure replied. Squatch noticed the stranger's coat had bunched up over his shoulders. It seemed that he had large and pronounced shoulder muscles or else... No, it couldn't be, could it? Just before Ebenezer could ask whether the man had wings beneath his coat, the door opened again. A woman with a long, sleek neck stood waiting at this floor. She wore a Tamashaner hat and a beautiful, slick, green leather coat. Her hands were covered in leather mittens, which made it look like she had flippers on the end of each arm. Her coat bore a large, embroidered N in red script font and was adorned with a red plaid scarf to match her hat. She made eye contact with the winged stranger and the two exchanged a slight smile. Ebenezer began to sweat. He prayed that the car would hit the lobby before... The door opened once again. An enormous man with a bushy beard and long bushy hair entered. His eyebrows were overgrown such that Ebenezer almost couldn't make out his eyes underneath. He wore a shag coat covered in long strands of brown fur and thick snow boots at the end of his legs. When the elevator dinged for the final time in the lobby, Ebenezer was frozen in place. As the three strangers exited, he saw that they were walking, not into his office's lobby, but instead into a lush, wooded forest lit above by a full moon. Sinister Hood will be right back. Part 2. The elevator doors disappeared behind them, and Squatch found himself and his new companions standing in the luscious forest he'd ever seen. Oh, wh- where am I? Ebenezer croaked out. The man in the sunglasses laughed. <laughs> I should think you'd recognize it after all the plans you've made here, he said. Oregon? Ebenezer replied. Yes, but 10,000 years ago, before humans began destroying things, the moth explained. Ebenezer was taken by all his senses at once. He could feel the soft, dewy air upon his cheeks. He breathed in the pure oxygen and noted the hint of musk from the tallest of his new companions. He smelled the sap from the trees and the fragrance from the flowers. His ears prickled at the sound of a babbling brook and the hoot of an owl nearby. The old man was flabbergasted and leaned on a nearby tree for support. His palm laid flush against the thick moss and its carpet-like softness intertwined between his fingers. He wanted to make a comment about progress and profits and perfection, but found himself in stunned silence. It's beautiful, isn't it? The moth said to him before removing the overcoat that hid its wings. Come on, let me show you. Clutched together, the moth lifted Ebenezer up and flew him over the area. From up high, Squatch did recognize the place, though it was fuller of trees than his most recently obtained satellite images. In a flash, the moth nodded, sprinkling some type of magic that cost time to progress. Before his eyes, Ebenezer saw the darkness become lit, at first with small fires, then dotted by lights and homes and streetlights, before an overwhelming amount of light pollution dimmed his view. Now, we're 10,000 years in the future, Christmas Eve 2023, the moth said as they descended back to Earth. Ebenezer had tears in his eyes overwhelmed by the destruction of the once-calm darkness that was destroyed in the blink of an eye. The woman in the plaid cap approached the crying mortal and dried his tears with the long end of her scarf. "'It's hard to see, isn't it?' she said in a Scottish brogue. Ebenezer only nodded. "'But this is the very place where you'd build your new factory.' His cheeks burned with shame, which quickly turned to anger. "'Who are any of you people, anyway?' he spat. "'Not people, no,' the tall, woolly creature said. "'We are the species unknown, those you said you'd gladly destroy.' "'I didn't mean I'd destroy you,' Ebenezer said, looking at each of their faces. Uh, "'It's not personal, it's just business.' "'Business?' the woman said, before wrapping her scarf around him. "'Let me show you some business.' In a flash, she and Ebenezer were underwater, swimming off the coast in the cool waters of the Atlantic. Near the surface, Squatch could see the outlines of sea otters on their backs, holding hands lit by the moon's glow. Beneath them, gray whales swam in a pod, their clicks and whistles floating up to Ebenezer's ears. A family of harbor seals dove in and out of the waves nearby. He was enthralled by watching them all. But suddenly, all the sea creatures drew towards him at once. Their mouths, he noticed, were full of plastic. Each spat out piece after piece of plastic and metal shards until he saw their eyes were no longer full of life replaced instead by dull, lifeless circles. They floated limply to the surface, passing a clouded mess of man-made objects discarded in the waters. Discarded materials, the woman said, from your past building projects. Ebenezer tried grabbing a few of the otters before they floated away, but as he reached for them and tried to scream, his sounds were stifled by the waves and he felt like he was drowning. Suddenly he was back on land. His arms empty, he was surrounded by the unknown species again. While his clothes were dry, Ebenezer's face was again wet with tears. I can save them, he said. There are recycling programs. We'll buy carbon offsets. Uh, Plus, I can assure you, there is no illegal dumping. Can you? the tall, woolly creature asked. Let's take a look to be sure. The enormous beast took Ebenezer by the elbow and walked him between two trees. As they passed through the clearing, the lush, verdant world they were in fell to the side. It was replaced by concrete beneath their feet. The sounds Ebenezer had so relished, the hoots and rustles and delicious stillness of the forest, were now replaced with the clangs, whomps, and grinds of a factory. The air was thick with exhaust from a parking lot below, with thousands of cars of the workers lined end to end. "'You're doing,' the Bigfoot said. "'Congratulations. We're five years in the future. Your plans were approved. The project went through. You earned five million on this one alone.' And look what it cost. Ebenezer's stomach seized. His pit stung with sweat that also dripped down his brow. He missed the calm safety of the forest desperately, even though he had only recently come to know it. I'll cancel it, he whimpered. You'll what? The Bigfoot asked. Uh, the project! I'll end it! I've got to! He looked around. Uh, I can't believe it! Believe it? the Bigfoot said. Ebenezer whimpered and cried into his hands. <laughs> Face down on his desk, Ebenezer awoke. It was 7.58 a.m., and from the looks of the empty streets outside, it was Christmas Day. He searched the pages on his desk and found the plans for the Oregon factory. He grabbed a big stamp from his drawer and pressed it in red ink. He slammed it over the page, leaving a red mark reading, Project Cancelled. On the corner of his desk, Squatch saw the little unicorn Sam had left behind, the one meant for Sydney, But it was not alone. Beside it was a little mothman in red sunglasses and a black coat, next to a slick green Loch Ness monster wearing a plaid hat and scarf, and beside her was a hairy little Bigfoot with a twinkle in its eye. The once angry old man gathered up the toys and headed to his nephew's house, hoping to still make it in time for Christmas breakfast. On the way there, he practiced what he would say when he gave the child her gifts. They're species unknown, you see, and they're a good reminder to us all, even if we can't see them. We can still do our part to protect them, and we can all still believe. Well, so what do we think? Well, those were a couple of holly jolly tales. (laughs) in <laughs> a horror You know, we got to add the horror, cryptid, weird monster element to our Christmas tales. <laughs> what would it
1: be if we didn't have a Dickens cryptid carol? <laughs> exactly. And, you know, like you were saying, the the trope of the puppy under the tree, mm-hmm.
0: but but is it or is it, something is it? even better? I love it. Krampus. I love <laughs> Krampus. I love that Krampus <laughs> has been taken. And I, I mean, it, these of course, these tales like Krampus and Bellsnickel and Gryla and all, you know, we talked about Christmas monsters on a Patreon mini so All those are like, you know, centuries old. But we, did, we were remiss in our uh, reporting, not to mention A Nightmare Before Christmas, which I think in this yes. late, oh, yes. you know, f- it was made in 1996, I think it has really helped bridge the gap between halloween and christmas because kind of at the end they're like hey buddy love you love you but you know they bring the two holidays together and so it's not so weird that we like freaky shit on christmas it never mm-hmm. has been it turns out from shakespeare and way even before shakespeare all the way up till uh krampus home for christmas or uh and the the <laughs> cryptids carol you know are all the way up to these and i'm sure you know gremlins three we're not the last ones to make uh, a christmas horror fo- you know crossover i think no. uh it's gonna be we all as long as we're all getting together at the holidays and as long as we all like freaky messed up stuff <laughs> we're all you know gonna what? keep doing it
1: i think you, you you nailed it when it's the the winter time especially when you know in england and ireland and way before you know everything came over to america where mm-hmm. we were like strip it of everything fun <laughs> it has to just be this And this was what it was about. And it was the cold, dark, long nights, no electricity. Everyone gathered around the fire and a sense of eeriness and spookiness. But sharing stories about loved ones that were no longer there to, you know, warm your heart. But then also you can't sit around a campfire without telling a ghost story. So naturally that's going to come in too. But again, the idea of the veil being at its thinnest and that... Mm -hmm. The liminal uh, seasons of, you know, winter going into spring and all of that with all of the um, ideas that pop up along with that of death and rebirth and spookiness and ghosts. It all makes sense. We just decided that Santa was going to be a jolly old elf with a a belly full of jelly when in reality... (laughs) He's probably
0: quite a sinister little fuck. Right, you know? a thin, ghoulish with like, a <laughs> Saint Nicholas. That's what David Sedaris's, um six to eight black men is, where he talks about the going and experiencing Christmas traditions in other countries and being told that like the Saint Nicholas in our country has mm-hmm. this like cadre of friends with them. But that idea of this like grizzled freakish and, but that whole story, the kind of irony of the story is he's like, that's ridiculous. Santa doesn't live in Turkey. Santa doesn't <gasps> ride a boat. Santa doesn't have six say black man, he has elves you guys and he's at the north pole so it's and just he funny the thing rides around in a flying <laughs> yes.
1: sleigh yes. with a reindeer that had magic sprinkled on it Come flies on. him through the fog because he has a bright red nose right Duh. it
0: kills me like how we think oh it's so ridiculous that you know somebody would believe in krampus or somebody would have ghost stories at christmas would we all know the real santa's on a soda can and it's like no like <laughs> there that is your image of santa or image mm-hmm. of whatever but it's it definitely uh it varies from place to place but i I think that when you are exposed to these other cultural traditions, it's like, and we're you know we scratch the surface of this. You know, this is primarily like Anglo Anglo-Saxon, you know, based mm-hmm. at a you know the UK Victorian Gothic era, and it goes. This could be, there's entire books written on this, you know, on this subject. Um, and you know how around the world, everybody has a different and a different interpretation of a Christmas carol has even made into other cultures. But I think the, what you're, you're picking up on what you were saying, like the thinning of the veil and having it be that time of like death and the possibility of rebirth. And I think that's why I'm such a fucking sucker for all of this and cry. Oh, like I like I said, I was crying like the opening of A Christmas Carol, I, the Muppets <laughs> one, and like the, um, I was listening to Bruce Springsteen's Santa Claus is Coming to Town. I look oh, genuinely well up like at Christmas yeah. stuff. And I think it's that whole idea of it is Frank Cross's speech at the end of like, it's the one time of year when we come together, when we have, and is that one time of year based in this kind of these horrible working conditions that were, you know, a couple of centuries ago and the one time of year that everybody was nice was like, well, it's Christmas, you know, Mm -hmm. Kermit even says that of like, come on, man, it's like 30 minutes coming in 30 minutes late, it's Christmas. And I wonder if we are all still attracted to these stories because we do like the macabre and creepy. We do like this at the end of the year, you know, this idea of death and then rebirth into something new and better. On a bit of a cynical note, does it all still hit the same, though? Because you do have – there still are Scrooges out there. But mm. maybe the positive note is that as long as there are Scrooges, there are hearts that we can touch and that people yeah. that we can turn, you know, like Grinch style. And like Christmas is uh, doesn't come from a store. Christmas is uh, about something more, whatever uh, Dr. Seuss said. He was a doctor, <laughs> so we should listen to him. He's yeah, like he was a, a doctor, PhD. for sure. <laughs> yes. You, if, if not for Scrooges, how would we get someone's heart to grow – Three
1: times is the size, which medically speaking, probably not. That's dangerous, great. Yeah. But
0: you know, in the Whoville, maybe that's, that's, you're at your peak. I'm going to trust him. He's a doctor. So Dr. Seuss knows <laughs> if hearts can grow three sizes. But yeah, I mean, when I was listening to the Tim Curry, which I cannot, uh, cannot recommend enough, I was thinking like, Oh, like a miserly boss who wants to work employees to the bone and not get and I was going through Reddit and the work like people talk about their, you know, everyday jobs and stuff and it was what did you guys get for a bonus or not this year? Mm-hmm. And like so many people are like, I got laid off or I got mm-hmm. a book one one sales team got a book that was sales for dummies that they were expected oh. to read and then Rude. they were gonna start having weekly meetings God. to talk about this like sales book when they're like, Merry Christmas, here's a here's homework yeah, so, I would have rather gotten no <laughs> gift than that gift. Exactly. Someone was like, "I threw in the dumpster," but it's <laughs> like we still have Scrooges out there, and so I think is the the po- a positive side is as long as we have them, we can haunt them with their yeah. ways yeah, and yeah. warn them about what might happen. And yeah. maybe that's why the adaptations won't stop because uh, there's always a heart to change. If we didn't have them,
1: who are the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future going to go after? You know they don't either yeah, convince. Out of the job. They don't got to convince like somebody that like Buddy the Elf. He's good. Yeah,
0: we, he's on lock. Yeah. Like you don't. He's you got to go for you know the Scrooges, the Ebenezer Scrooges of the world, the Frank Crosses of the world, and the Grinches. Mm-hmm. So, well, if you're a Grinch or a Scrooge or a Frank Cross, we hope our stories help grow your heart to safe three sizes today. <laughs> absolutely
1: and happy holidays to everyone whether you celebrate or don't if this is a happy time or a sad time for you we are right there with you so happy holidays keep it creepy and we love all of you so so very much and have a happy new year If you like our free episodes, you'll love our Patreon bonus content. You can join for free to see what we're up to next, or dive into over 500 hours of bonus content. Speaking of bonus content, mm-hmm. we got a little something going on tonight, which is Tuesday, so this is going to come out on Wednesday, but you can always go back and listen to the replay. But Heather, what are we doing in just a couple hours...
0: Yes, it is our annual Hallmark After Dark movie snarking live stream where we uh, watch a cheesy Hallmark love romantic movie and make fun of it. All of our previous Hallmark After Darks are available to stream on demand on Patreon. And I love to hear people go, it has become my holiday tradition to put on Hallmark After Dark while I wrap my Christmas presents. Should we do it a few days before? (laughs) Um, So since you're hearing this on Wednesday or after, you can head to our YouTube channel because this year we decided to do it free, open to anybody, you don't have to be a Patreon subscriber, so you can watch that replay on YouTube, um, and the instructions are in there, how to sync up the movie and all that good stuff, but that is one of the many fun live things that we do on Patreon all throughout the rest of the year, and uh, we've got some, all the uh, Christmas holiday bonus contents from the past few years, Uh, we have a collection now on Patreon, so you can go back and read, uh, not read, go back and experience all those, from Christmas monsters to Christmas crimes, which I totally forgot about, the drunk Santa Christmas... Christmas Carols because it was a few years ago that we did that one. Oh, me but it's too. fucking evergreen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's just evergreen. Oh man, we reread the lyrics to many of those songs. Yeah, they're, filthy. I, they're filthy. I recorded that and I still wanna go back and listen to that yeah. because that was so funny. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it was a hoop to gather those all up. So if you need something to uh, to get you through this time of year and you want to have a ridiculous side of the holidays, check it out. And don't forget, an annual subscription to Patreon gets you one month free. And it's a really great gift if you haven't bought something for somebody yet and you're like, ah, shit, something you can buy, print it out, bam, you have it already, no shipping, anything like that. And they get stuff all year long.
1: Yes. And for recent patrons, thank you so much for supporting the show. And make sure you stick around
0: after our sign offs to hear your shout out. You can head to Sinisterhood.com and click shop on the top banner to check out Sinisterhood merch like t-shirts, mugs, totes, stickers, and even clothes for your kiddos. Double check when you go on the website. I think you may still be able to get stuff in time for Christmas, but don't quote me on that. It'll tell you when you go to click ship. It just sort of depends on where you're at, and that's how that – I don't know how it works, but it'll tell you on the website. Um, (laughs) But you can get something cozy, or if you're like, you know what, I don't need to buy a gift for someone. I need to treat myself. Perfect Mm -hmm. place to do it. Get you a cozy sweatshirt or a a hot, tasty beverage in your favorite Sinisterhood mug.
1: While you're on our website, you can also review the show, follow us on socials, and check out the episode description for sources used during our research. You'll also find fun things like
0: topic-based playlists and links to live show tickets when we have live shows. You can follow us on Instagram and threads at Sinisterhood Pod, and like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. Head to our YouTube channel for video versions of our episodes. They drop early and ad-free on Patreon, and then a few days later, they are available on YouTube. Also, check us out on TikTok at Sinisterhood Podcast. And again, if you need a last-minute gift, our Cameo website, cameo.com slash Sinisterhood, you can order a custom video shout-out from us. we got Santa hats, we got witch hats, crowns, all kinds I'm of stuff. I'm wearing reindeer on. antlers right now. And I've <laughs> yeah, worn got- them in several
1: cameos.
0: I'm going to pull, I'm going to, next time we do cameos, I'm bringing my Victoria's Secret um Santa is that hat. where that's, that's from. what this is from it's from Victoria's secret probably 12 <laughs> years ago to the point i had to wash a stain off the ball it was a whole thing earlier but uh but yes we will deliver your holiday message and we have 24-hour delivery up until a certain time on christmas but it's, it'll be pretty close up to christmas so keep mm-hmm. your eyes peeled on that cameo.com where you can get a uh, a custom video shout out saying merry christmas happy holidays happy new year for the sinister hood fan in your life christy where are you at online
1: I am on Instagram at ChristyMWallace and TikTok at Christy or GTFO. Heather? Pretty much everywhere at Heather versus the World. As always, the devil, and Krampus, rules the airwaves.
0: (laughs) Keep it creepy! Hey everybody, thank you so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Here are your special Patreon shoutouts. Gretchen Caverly. Lizzie Casaro. Danny Rongo. Linus Smogles. Kinda Grump. Brianna Bryant. Trisha Mayo. Jennifer Music. Jocelyn Foisy.
1: Tracy Hawkins. Destiny Deshaies. Christine Hagstrom.
0: Desiree Carney. Susan. Livia Rubiolini. Brandi Golvaja. Murphy Elpis. Thank you so much
1: for supporting the show. We could not do this without you all. We hope you pronounce your names correctly. We sincerely appreciate all the love and support. Stay safe, stay healthy, happy holidays and keep it creepy.
0: <laughs> oh, 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 oh.